So, welcome listeners to a, another COVID edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Uh, mania, 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 mania? Yes. That's <laughs> heard every week here on WIRLP 97.3 FM <laughs> Richmond Independent Radio. Look at you getting slick with it. And Two years. <laughs> And I finally got the station ID right. With no pause. I'm so impressed. It only took us two years. You know, here we are. And we are smack almost at the end of our candidate forums so that people can know who we got on the ballot yeah. on November 3rd. This is kind of a, a, a fun way to do this. You know, yeah. it's an interesting, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have to say, honestly, I miss going to forums. I really miss going to forums, but it's better than not having them. I don't want COVID and this is better than nope. not having them. So Yeah. It's been a learning experience, too. I wonder how we'll do it next time around. Anyway. Here we go. Today we're in third district. Yes, yes, yes. Excited, excited. It's actually, I think it's really exciting because the current seat holder is not running for office again. So, yes. Clean slate. Chilling his butt out. He's not here. (laughs) He's not going to do it anymore. That's right. So, um, Mr. Public Safety is on his uh, last few months. Y'all are funny. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah. so, you know, um, now, it, like I said, it's a fresh start. It's an exciting time in the third. Um, maybe some voices that haven't been uh, heard are going to get amplified. We'll see, right? We'll see. We will. So, you want to get them to introduce themselves, Fran? Yes. And we believe in identifying yourselves and representing your own narrative so we're going to let each of the candidates introduce yourselves and we'll go in alphabetical order so let's do it my name is willie hilliard i am a candidate for city council in third district i am a north side native born and raised uh in the providence park community i am the executive director of the historic brooklyn park collective which is an asset-based community development group that focuses on civic engagement and neighborhood empowerment I have been doing the work of community engagement in the city probably for the last 15 years or more being involved in every aspect of what makes the city as great as it is. Um, Been involved in Mayor's Education Compact, um, working with the businesses on Brooklyn Park Boulevard, uh, working with our community garden, just a lot of different things that we were involved with. Richmond is a great city to live, but Richmond has a lot of inequities. A lot of inequities in education, transportation, affordable housing, um, inequities in access to quality health care, as well as healthy food access. So those are some of the things that I've been at the forefront of fighting against and trying to help out with our community. So we've decided that we want to take this to another level and actually do the work of the people. So that is why we're running or why I am running. I got to get used to saying I instead of we. But that's why I'm running, to be the voice of the voiceless. So that is me in a nutshell. Okay. Hi. Good evening. Thank you so much for having 
having me. My name is Anne Francis Lambert, candidate for the 3rd District Richmond City Council. I am born and raised here in the city of Richmond. Um, just celebrated my 45th birthday yesterday. Um, so it's Happy just kind of, thank you. Yes, Libra's rock. Um, September birthdays always are a pleasure. Um, so yeah, so coming off of the birthday, a great birthday yesterday. Um, but yes, born and raised here in the city of Richmond, grew up in Battery Park, um, moved over to Ginner Park when I was in the fifth grade. Um, I was a part of the PAGE program at All Saints Catholic School. When I was at All Saints Catholic School, I was a PAGE in a General Assembly, which gave me my first real experience as having civic responsibility. Um, from there, graduate of St. Gertrude High School, also a graduate of Howard University, majored in communications with a, ma a minor in education. Um, while I was at Howard University, worked for Congressman Robert C. Scott in his congressional office. And when I graduated, I worked in his Richmond district office. From there, I worked, um, I got a job with the city where, as one of the first new hires for the city council liaison position. I was a city council liaison for um, Dolores McQuinn over in Churchill in the seventh district. So as a city council liaison, I have plenty of experience on how to handle city council and how to, um, those measures. From there, I um, worked with the Office of Intergovernmental Relations with Kelly Harris. We were the only two in that department. We handled the legislative agenda for the city of Richmond. We lobbied several state legislatures on um, getting funding for the city in various projects. Um, one of the um, major funding um, proposals we got was the federal courthouse building on Broad Street. So we were part of that as well. Um, also worked on the Committee of Education and Labor on Capitol Hill. I was assistant to the senior policy ed director for that committee and also worked for a law firm where the head of the healthcare policy, I was special assistant. In addition to my policy work, I'm also a small business owner. I'm the first black female certified drone pilot with a business here in the city of Richmond. My um, siblings and I also had a business in the VCU area called the Hyperlink Cafe. We still own that piece of property where we are very familiar with development and buildings um, here in the city of Richmond. So I'm all for um, economic development and growth in those areas um, as well. So just wanted to give that background. I know it's a mouthful, but um, my name is Ann Francis Lambert and I am running for third district Richmond City Council. All right, I'm up. Hey everybody, I'm Elaine Summerfield and I'm running for city council to represent the third district. And just wanna say it's always great to be back on WRIR. Thanks for having me. I have been a resident of Richmond for the past 18 years, uh, the last 12 years in the third district. I'm a resident in the Bellevue neighborhood. I am a mom to Richmond Public School students on RPS Parent as well. I have really worked uh, my whole life and um, really devoted my career to nonprofit organizations and building coalitions and creating connections through nonprofits and public-private partnerships. Uh, and I pursued my master's in public administration knowing that I'd want a career where I could be involved in the community and giving back. And in Richmond, you know, I've been able to do that. And I've been able to do that in ways such as creating a show on WRIR, Inspire Indeed, still run by other volunteers. I'm proud of that. I also 
also co-founded Hands on Greater Richmond, handsonrva.org, which continues to be an extremely important resource for the community. I worked for over 12 years at the Community Foundation, where I got to know the issues that are um, experienced by people, you know, ranging from education to community development, from access to health care to uh, affordable housing. And in doing that work, learning the policy around all of those issue areas, also building really positive relationships with the people working on those issues. So I'm going to bring my my skills and my knowledge and my passion for making a difference and, and bring that to City Hall where I can w- work on creating some real systemic change. So now that we've heard intros from everybody, and as we already mentioned, the person the sitting city council person is actually not running. Uh, Chili Chilbert is not running. So that's great. So that we're getting some new faces running for office, right? And we always love new civil engagement. That's why we exist, right? It's RVA Dirt, and we love that. We love to see it. Tell us all why you guys chose to run, for this seat. Right now, COVID is a very interesting time. What propelled you into running for this particular seat right now? And what do you plan to do if you win? As I said before, I'm born and raised here. Um, My father, who's late Senator Benjamin J. Lambert, represented the third district for over 30 years. Um, My father entered politics in 1978, so I was three years old. So his majority of his political career has been my life. Um, And being a a child of a a politician, um, you know, I've always been in the spotlight. Um, So last year, um, my oldest brother passed away from cancer and I moved back home to help with um, family business and properties. And in doing so, one of our properties that's in the North Jackson Ward area has been there since 1966. Um, That 900 block of North First Street is named after my father. So as we're making improvements to our property, you know, there's always trash. Um, There's a lot of um, just crime and poverty in that area. Um, You know, we're only as strong as our weakest link. And right now, the North Jackson Ward area is the weakest part of the third district. And being down there every day um, and picking up trash, I began to start asking questions. Um, Right across the street from my father's building is Mount Mariah Church. They um, administer food every day from 12 to 1, hot meals. And when COVID happened, that switched to um, bag lunches. Um, So every day at noon, folks are outside. I'm talking to the citizens. And one day as I was picking up trash, I spoke to a resident who said that there wasn't a, um, a health center. They said all the housing communities have a health center except for um, the Gilpin Court area. And so I was just like, hmm, that's interesting. And from there, there's a um, convenience store that's on the corner that's open 24 hours. Um, There's a lot of um, criminal activity that occurs there. Um, People that are on drugs, prostitution. Um, The youth in the area are shooting out lights on the side of the housing um, complexes um, as using it as target practice. All of these concerns made me start to ask questions. And I, being as though I was a city council liaison, um, I have the experience when it comes to policy. Um, that all kind of came back up to where the seat was open. We needed new leadership. Um, and moving back home, I have a lot of ideas and solutions that can be utilized. Um, and having property and being invested in the city really made me want to get back involved because I realized there was a lack of leadership. 
when I talked to the residents in North Jackson Ward, I asked them, who was the last legislator that's actually been over here to talk to you all about your concerns? And they said, Tim Kaine. And I said to myself, now that's a shame. So from there, I was like, Tim Kaine represented North Jackson Ward when it was in the second district. So we all know our history. We know that Tim Kaine, that was over 20 years ago. So the theme of my campaign became preserving history for future generations. That area was a result of 80 years of bad public policy that was put in place and the resources have not been put back into the community and now it's, it's time for change. So once the George Floyd episode happened, the world stopped with COVID, um, that was when I just kind of took took to the call that, you know, I know that I'm needed and my purpose was to be able to get back and serve the community. Um, so I have over 30 years of experience. I've watched my father um, work both sides of the aisle. Um, has nothing but respect um, and certainty with this um, position. I understand the importance of having partnerships. I understand the importance of negotiating and being able to um, work across the aisle and be able to agree and disagree. But I truly believe for us right now here at Richmond, the time is now for us to have a change agent and a bridge builder, and I am that person. So that's why I decided to run, decided to not be on the sidelines, whimpering and complaining. I decided that I can bring ideas and solutions to the district that I know that I was born and raised in. So that's why I decided to run. As I mentioned in my introduction, I've been working on community-based solutions um, since I got to Richmond 18 years ago. And much as I enjoyed the work uh, when I was at Virginia Healthcare Foundation, when I was at the Community Foundation, much as I felt that I was able to accomplish along with partners, along with those community change makers working on issues in the community, um, I started to feel that a lot of what we were working on were um, band-aid approaches to real systemic issues. You know, we need to have uh, somebody in city council who is going to be focused on what we need to do to disrupt the racist policies of the past and ensure that we are creating um, opportunities for everybody across the city and across the third district. I also had experience working uh, for a couple of years in Creighton Court. And in working in Creighton and with other public housing communities, I saw firsthand how disenfranchised and marginalized our resident voices are. Uh, That's a priority for me, is making sure that everybody has a, a voice in the process. Everybody has a way to plug in and get involved. And, you know, together we can really co-create solutions. You know, that's part of why I love uh, RVA Dirt and Municipal Mania, because you are providing the information that is necessary to know what's going on. And as a city council representative, that's what I would do. I, I would make sure that people have access to the information so that they can determine when they want to plug in, where they want to plug in, and be involved in the process. Because the more people are involved, the better results are for everybody. Plain and simple, I'm already doing the work. I'm already doing the work of councilman. The residents of the third district trust me to have their best interest in heart. So they've been calling me for the for years to help them with every aspect of what goes on in our community. Um, again, from everything from education to whatever you name, I'm already doing it. 
Again, the folks in this community, trust me, they've advocated or tried to push me for years to run. And I never really wanted to. Um, but I had gotten to the point that, and I guess along with a lot of our residents, we had got frustrated with our per- current representation. And I was prepared to take him on. Um, fortunately for us, he decided not to run. Um, but again, I've just been doing the work of, of being a leader. I am the recognized leader in the third district. When a city official or state official wants a leader in the north side, they call me. And I'm always there and willing. I'm, I'm involved in every aspect, again, from um, being involved in the, which was somewhat controversial, bike lane, road bike lane, uh, whole incident. Also have written letters in support of moving or removing the AP Hill statue from the Burnham and, and uh, Hermitage Road. Um, just, again, being involved in everything that, is for the betterment of our community. And that's the work that I've been doing. A lot of people don't think that I may have policy experience, but I'm in city hall probably at least three times a week. The thing about it is that I don't put everything on social media. So you don't know the work that I'm doing because I'm actually in there doing the work. So my work would be collaborative, engaging and empowering. What I would do is sit down with my community and actually talk to them actually work with them beyond just doing my regular monthly meeting. We will actually get in and do the nuts and bolts of what this community needs and try to move the city towards the direction that everyone would want to see. So again, that's why I'm running because I'm already doing the work. So this will be a very smooth transition. Um, again, we've been doing this work for years and this, this, this job is not taken lightly at all by me. I understand the importance of advocating for our people and that's why I'm running and that's why folks want me to run, to advocate for them and actually be their voice for them. Again, my experience is, is very vast. I've worked with probably every community, uh, every department head down in the city right now. So it'll be a smooth transition. We're already doing the work. We're not talking about our experience of 20 years ago. We're talking about right now. So that is the reason why we're running. So now that we've heard a little bit about why each of you have chosen to run, and we've even heard about some of the things that you'd like to address, one of the things that has been a major point for the third has been the overhaul of gentrification through the third district with the reduction of affordable housing. We all know that affordable housing in general is lacking in Richmond, but the third district and the demographics of the third district is changing dramatically. What is the major policy-driven change that can help bring housing, better housing, or more affordable housing into the area? All right, I'll go. This is Elaine. And definitely affordable housing, ensuring that there is expansion of and access to affordable housing is uh, one of the, the cores of why I'm running and uh, part of part of my policy platform. Some ways that we can address this in the short term is to take advantage of programs that we currently have first. So ensuring that there is outreach to residents that qualify for the tax relief program. So people who are seniors and disabled and at an income level 60K or below. But we can take that program and also uh, assess if we can change it to consider other uh, criteria, such as the length that somebody has been living in that property um, without uh, a change of ownership. Look at the 
percent increase in the housing value. And um, for example, there's a program in Philadelphia where if it jumps, oh, I forgot the exact, like 50% in a year or something like that, um, then you are eligible for tax relief. So I think there are some tools like that that we can immediately put into place that outreach for the current program and then to see where the current tax relief program can be tweaked. So that's for current homeowners and um, long-term homeowners that we want to keep in the neighborhood. But we've got to expand the availability of affordable housing too. That's going to require some zoning changes and what's happening with Richmond 300, which I believe will be approved before the end of this calendar year, you know, we have some opportunities to look at rezoning parts of the third district to make it easier and more efficient for uh, developing um, some denser options for housing. The more housing there is, the the more affordable housing is. Um, we can also look to accessory dwelling units and that also expands access to housing as well um, and can also help some of our seniors uh, who maybe it is truly a mother-in-law suite and we can help people um, age in place uh, without institutions or um, you know relying on a home. So uh, those are some ideas. I know there are others, uh, but I'll let uh, I'll let the others cover some other policies. Yeah, I am um, <clears throat> an affordable housing advocate, actually starting a nonprofit last year um, to stem this tide of gentrification. I probably did a, I think I did a story in Richmond Mag probably about six years ago, maybe, where I was kind of screaming about gentrification coming, you know, but I was a lone voice in the woods, so no one really listened. Um, I have been involved with working with the Richmond 300 housing work group, as well as the Partnership for Housing Affordability in their regional framework, actually doing work in that. What we need to do is do some real policy changes. Um, one thing I would like to see is the tax abatement program be repurposed and actually take the funding that a lot of these developers and these new homeowners are saving and actually put that into a long-term low-income senior um, housing program that can actually give them more relief. And there are relief programs for our seniors. I think the, the issue for them is accessibility. Um, most of them are not internet savvy. So, you know, that's an issue. So I think bringing a lot of this stuff to them manually will have to be what we have to do. Um, but also changing some of our zoning, um, we are definitely advocating for a property tax reform that could actually spur some growth and some, um, building within our community. What we would like to see is more mixed use zoning and inclusionary upzoning that it can actually put some affordable housing within our community. But what we have to do first and foremost is sit down with these developers and come to an agreement and use what we call community benefits agreements where set aside the rules of the community and what we want to see. And before you can actually come into our community and build, these are the, the uh, points that we want you know, to be um, done. So those are some of the things we work on again, but the main thing again is this property tax reform that would actually, if done right, would save the low income and the middle income, save their taxes and maybe even lower them, but actually increase the tax base for the city. Would it give us more revenue to actually build even more housing, you know, but basically doing some of those tenants 
along the lines of, of preserving the housing stock that we have and trying to increase it on some of these properties that are just sitting here vacant and blighted and actually do some real building for folks. So those are some of the things that we're advocating for. We have a lot more, but it's a lot. And housing is just a big issue throughout the city. So this is something that we have to take across the city. Um, well, first with a, affordable housing, we need to reimagine affordable housing ownership. And being fortunate enough, my father has um, taught me about generational wealth. Um, we don't rent, we own property here in the city of Richmond. Um, so we have two commercial properties, one in the VCU area, as well as the one in North Jackson Ward. Um, one of the things, being a landowner, especially by VCU, they're encouraging landowners to build up, um, definitely trying to increase um, housing around the transit areas. So with our property in North Jackson Ward, we're looking to build some type of affordable housing for the community, be able to provide some type of co-op type of partnerships to be able to own your own home and have a sustainable garden. Um, one of the, the solutions is a concept called Boxables. Um, the Boxables concept is a low-cost, affordable home that is a uh, can be shipped right to you and built in a day. Um, with all of the delinquent properties with RHA, there's ways that we can combat the housing crisis and the looming evictions that are occurring in the, um, the third district. So with that, there's concepts and initiatives that we can do, and we have to think outside of the box. Um, you know, I, as I said, my father was in the legislature for over 30 years. We come with leadership and service, and that's the type of experience that I can bring to the table um, as city council representative for the third. In your travels through the third and your life in the third district, have you identified any areas, any communities that the current council person has overlooked? And what are you plan to reach out and bring them in to be a part of the district as a whole? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I mean, there are numerous areas from North Jackson Ward to Chamberlain Avenue Corridor, I think parts of Brook Road have been ignored, um, as well as uh, the Lombard and Virginia Union area. Oh gosh, there there are areas within these pockets of this district beyond Ginter Park and Bellevue, some of the more affluent communities that are just completely been ignored. Um, so my, my thing would be to actually go into these communities, which I have a lot of relationships with most of their city presidents as it is, um, and just actually going in and sitting down with these communities and collaborating to see what it is that they want for their community and then proceed to find a way or a solution to that. So that would be the definite thing that will be totally different from what our current representative is doing is actually engaging people, actually talking to people, actually finding out what dilemmas or what issues they actually will have. But our district has just pockets and pockets in different neighborhoods that I think have been ignored. And I mean, we can see it from dilapidated homes to the conditions of the streets to actually having no healthy food access in our district. So just sitting down with our community and actually building with them and dialoguing, I think would make a world of difference. And I think it'll make a difference to them because it's something they're not used to. So we want to bring something different. It's really not old. It's really not new, but it's not being used. 
So again, just doing real community engagement. That's how we move this district forward. One thing that when I was in the Office of Intergovernmental Relations, I started the Citizen Advocacy Program. And I, at the time when I found out about you guys, I realized, see, that's what I needed back then when we were trying to get um, folks in the community engaged. It was really hard to get folks involved, to come downtown to a legislative committee meeting, get folks to have buttons to say they're in support of certain issues. So this type of platform is something that will be utilized uh, once I'm elected by the people. Um, that's something that we can really utilize. And being a communications major in my background in television production, I'm looking at bringing various events and, 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 t and t revenue uh, streams to the city, um, be it as though um, projects uh, to um, a vertical farm in the North Jackson Ward area, being able to lessen our carbon footprint, um, innovative ideas such as a, a farmer's market, something to where we can really address the food desert issue. So those are some of the things that I would be doing to engage with the community is definitely utilizing social media, being creative within the schools. Um, the schools has the actual television channel. And for me, I feel as though that the students in each school can be their own television crew and reporters. And those are ways that we can engage the community, let those, let those know what's going on, as well as those students that are looking to enter into journalism and television production. These are careers that need to be introduced to, the, to, the, to our scholars. So those are some of the mechanisms and ways that I will use to engage the community. And I'm already involved with the community, just like this past weekend, one pioneer that passed away, Lawrence Dayboy, he's the type of example that we need in our communities. And those are the folks that um, are, is what's going to help us engage and receive that community input. I have always had a passion for civic engagement and making sure that people have ways to be involved in their community. Um, here in Richmond, you can see that through my founding or co-founding of Hands on Greater Richmond. And my motivation there was to be sure that people had ways to plug in. The same thing with Inspire Indeed, wanting people to have the information to know about community issues and where to get involved. Uh, and that's the type of spirit and passion that I would bring to service on city council as well. Uh, I will be in community with people. I will have you know, office hours at multiple times during the day. I will have community meetings, um, you know, virtually maybe for a little while. We'll see what happens with COVID, um, but definitely out where people are, meeting people where they live in their neighborhood. And then just, it's not just between um, council and residents, it's also creating connections between residents, creating connections between the neighborhoods in the third district and across Northside. We can definitely work to rebuild the team's model where we had a more, um, you know, cross neighborhood approach to addressing community issues. Um, participatory budgeting was recently passed last year. So that could be an opportunity to use um, some funding for multiple neighborhoods in, across the third district to determine together where should we be deploying those resources as a neighborhood. So really empowering residents and neighbors to work together to identify the issues and come up with the best solutions. The current seat holder, Chris Hilbert, 
not running again, but he has always touted his passion for public safety. And we have had some serious public safety related current events going on. How have the protests and the social justice movements that are going on in the city and the country influenced your ideas on public safety policy? Awesome. Uh, well, I've done a survey um, of, and surveyed the residents of the third district. Um, a lot of residents um, have said they've heard gunshots to the violence in our um, North Jackson War community um, and, and even speaking to the police. Um, when I worked for the city of Richmond, I was in the police department before um, I moved to um, owning my restaurant with my siblings. So um, in that essence, I know the police are strapped. I know the police um, need more training and education. Um, but one of the things about the whole civil unrest that's going on with the country, I was actually down with the protesters protesting the Confederate monuments coming down. And everyone just is needs to address the whole racist uh, history of Virginia. I mean, I think it's, it's time where we actually sit down and have the dialogue and conversation. And that's really what's starting to happen, as I see in our diverse neighborhoods. Um, I was speaking with a police officer this past weekend. I was at the city jail. Um, they had an event for the faith leaders to help with the COVID concerns down there. And speaking with the officer, his main concern was that if people can stop calling 911 for non-emergency um, calls, um, that right there would, you know, just kind of take the police out of the situations that escalate to something that's a little bit horrific. Um, I'm in full support of transforming the police, not defunding it. Um, I feel as though we need to definitely utilize those therapists and counselors those that are really skilled and trained to handle mental health issues um, within our communities, especially on calls when they are called. So it's just all about dealing with mental health. Um, and I think COVID has brought that out in everyone. Um, and right now, um, that's the, my major concern is part of my platform is opening back up safely. We deal with the COVID issues. Um, so within the police, everyone's high on anxiety, everyone is stressed out. We're dealing with a lot of traumatic situations and we need mental health counselors and folks in the community. Um, one solution is to really utilize those in the community have lived in the housing communities and are they know the young folks in the communities. They can help de-escalate a lot of these crimes and situations dealing with gangs. So we need more folks in the environments um, of where the violence is happening and tend to that. Well, when I entered into um, the race and campaigning for city council, uh, I've always been motivated by racial equity issues. Um, but what happened with the uprising over the summer was provide the momentum. Um, these issues have been happening for years, for decades, the over-policing in communities of color. But now we have community joining their voices together to demand city, city leadership do something about it. And when I think about public safety uh, reform, some things that I am supportive of do include a civilian review board that is independent, that has subpoena power, that has access to data to inform. And I'm not just talking about informing when something um, goes wrong, but 
to also inform and pinpoint, you know, patterns of how we're using resources so that we can deploy resources in a way that will be most beneficial to the community. Um, and honestly, before the uprising this summer, I don't know if that would have been part of what I thought I'd work on, you know, first day in City Hall. So that momentum, I think it, it's, it's amazing. It's awesome to see what happens when the community joins together to share concerns and share voice. Um, I'm also very much supportive of the Marcus Alert and making sure that we have appropriate mental health response and then support for mental health, you know, not just in that moment, but services so that we don't have a crisis to begin with. So um, it's it's been a very... Um, inspiring, I'll just call it inspiring time to be looking at public service in Richmond. Yeah, um, public safety in this city has to be reimagined. Um, I fully support community policing and reform. Um, we would like to go back to community policing that we grew up with when cops walked the beat and they actually had relationships with the citizens and we knew each other and we could work together. And I think we've lost that completely. We definitely need to advocate for civilian review board, but I would want that completely free of any city involvement. And when I say that, I mean police department as well as the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. I would like to see this board actually report to a judge who would actually give them the power to actually act. I think um, some of the past issues we've had over the years with some of our police our, com our past Commonwealth attorneys being an employee of the city have not done the job that I think they should have done. So definitely have a, a board that's free of any city involvement. I also definitely would advocate for the Marcus Alert. Marcus Peters um, situation is a bad one. And um, I had a good relationship with the previous uh, chief at the time which was Chief Durham, until I questioned him about that whole situation and he didn't take to it at all. But anyway, the, the, the thing about the Marcus Alert is that it should have already been a policy years ago. I think that we need to train our incoming officers to actually do the work in mental health and in de-escalation. I think part of the issue of actually sending mental health workers into crime scene is that they're a little antsy about their own safety and they're not necessarily pre prepared or trained for those type of criminal situations. So I think, again, we should bring our new recruits in and actually train them and actually get them certified to do this training. But these are some of the things that we need to do. We need to, again, I don't necessarily like the term defund police, but I think that we need to um, definitely demilitarize our police. We can no longer be tear gassing and shooting rubber bullets at our citizens. And what I would like to see is the funding for that be used for uh, the communities that have been most affected by old policing and systemic racism. Try to do some real impactful things, but definitely Mercer Mormost is actually doing the work of being uh, a citizen and actually serving the people. Their, their job is to protect and serve. So actually protect and serve us for change and serving being the number one word. So again, we would advocate for some real community policing and reforms that could actually transform our police department. But now with our protesters out there and they've actually brought the department to their knees. 
So now's the time to sit down at the table and actually get what we want. So I think, again, just moving to some of those lines and some of those policies that should have been in place years ago. So we would definitely be advocating for that. This will be our last major question before we get all of your contact information and rep. As a city council person, you won't only be representing the third, you'll be representing the city as a whole. And the city needs a lot of things. COVID has really uh, done a number on us here, as well as all of the movements we've got going on right now. I mean, a lot is going on. Richmond is in upheaval. What do you want to accomplish for Richmond uh, if you win in your first term? What do you see as uh, the major goals of your reign as third district (laughs) representative? Like, what would your major goals be for the city of Richmond? Thank you. Yeah, it's true. We are uh, definitely impacted by COVID-19 and how it has magnified the racial inequities in Richmond. So we do need to continue to pull together as a community to um, continue to recover that uh, on city council. um, That means that that we must ensure we're continuing support for small businesses, coaching um, and grant support for small businesses, as well as addressing what um, what families need just to get by. Uh, that means ensuring that we are appropriately supporting the eviction diversion fund so that you know people can stay housed. I mean, this is something that we should be working on, COVID or not. Um, but especially in the time of the pandemic, we can't see people uh, displaced. Um, but I, I do believe that if we continue to provide these supports, we'll get through it. And um, when we come to the other side of it, I think we'll have a lot of, um, I guess, social fabric of all of us working together through a really tough time. I think city council can come together as a collaborative body and really work together to identify those common goals and vision for the city. And that's what I see as a positive outcome for, you know, a really trying time that we will have more of a sense of working together to make Richmond the the community that we want it to be. I guess for the first term, I guess we would say, what I would like to see citywide is definitely an improvement in our educational system. Every child in the city of Richmond deserves a good quality education and they're not getting it. There's definitely inequities within the school buildings themselves. Certain schools are treated way better than a lot of the others. So I definitely want to see some of those uh, disparities actually addressed as we've seen from COVID. The, the glaring disparities now, especially in technology. Now is the time that I think that we should, especially um, with children, in my opinion, not going back to school this year at all in person. Now is the time for us to actually go into these school buildings and renovate them, get them good working air and actually hot water because these kids will not be able to actually go back into these buildings until they have that. So actually bringing good quality education and educational opportunities to all of our kids will be first and foremost, as well as some kind of economic empowerment. We would like to see some smaller development that actually gives smaller companies. And when I say smaller companies, I'm talking with 25 employees or less, actually give them some chance to build some generational wealth and to pay some real family sustainable, sustainable wages that can actually help to bring folks out of poverty, but also keeping our access to GRTC free and actually expanding the service. I think with the pulse coming in, we lost a lot of routes that folks in lower income neighborhoods can no longer get to. So bringing that access back and expanding it, 
to actually make it a tool that can actually spur some economic development in the city are some of the things that we would like to see um, in the first term. But definitely bringing our education system up once and for all will be first and foremost. Great points, Willie and Elaine. Um, I definitely look forward to working with whomever the school board representative is. Um, of course, schools are our most important um, factor here. Um, but also, as I stated before, the pandemic is what I feel as though I want to see us open back up, get to some type of normalcy, um, whatever that looks like. Um, and also, what is the funding going to look like with us going through this pandemic right now? Um, um, one of the major things that I would love to see is a world-class training center, um, especially in the John Marshall complex. Um, Folks need jobs and folks need to get back to work. Um, so we need to make sure that we have some type of world-class training facility that is offering certifications and licensures, getting those children to a pathway to success. Um, you know, we need to be able to have those that um, may not want to go to college getting trained in electricians, plumbers, um, those type of fields where they're using their hands and they're making money, but also working with city contractors and who are building these developments to use those that are local um, in hiring for these projects. Um, so I see a lot of uh, development that's going to spark jobs and growth and get money back into people's pockets so they can get back on their feet. Um, so those are the things that um, I'm um, definitely looking to see to do when I'm in office. Um, I have been endorsed um, by the Richmond Realtors Association. I've been endorsed by Delegate Donald McEachin, um, Representative Bobby Scott, um, Delegate Dolores McQuinn, the Honorable Viola Baskerville, the Crusade for Voters, as well as the Building Construction and um, Building Construction Trades Council, and as well as I had one more. Um, oh, the Carpenters Local 99 um, have and La Una have endorsed me for um, the candidacy for Third District City Council. So, with that being said, I feel as though I'm the most experienced and the one that's ready to start the job day one. So, I ask you all for your vote and remember, and can. Thank you. All right, everyone, uh, before we wrap up completely, thank you so much for joining us today and talking a bit about your platforms with us. I'd like for everyone to go around and let your potential voters know how they can contact you and learn more about your platforms. It's important that you guys talk to as many people as possible, especially uh, this day. This is a very important election. So let us know how we can contact you. We'll go Willie, Ann, and Elaine. Yes, you can find out more about <laughs> platform on my webpage at willieforthird.com. We also have our Facebook, uh, Willie Hilly for Council, Twitter, and Instagram, willieforthethird.com. Again, you can go there and find our full platform. You can find links to volunteer and to actually have a chat with us because that's what we do. We engage people. So again, those are my deets. Check me out. Check us out. Thank you. So Anne Francis Lambert, you all can reach out to me at run and Francis run. And that's R-U-N-A-N-N-F-R-A-N-C-E-S 
R-U-N at gmail.com. If you would like to make a donation, you can look right above here, ancan2020.com. And feel free to give me a call. You can reach me at 804-213-2553. Also, you can check me out at Lambert, the number four, citycouncil.com. Reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, social media, LinkedIn, YouTube, Vimeo, all those platforms if you want to reach out to me. Thank you for your time. And remember, Anne can. Yes, again, it's Elaine Summerfield, and I am running to represent the 3rd District on Richmond City Council. My website, where you can find a lot more details on my platform, is elainesummerfield.com. That's E-L-A-I-N-E-S-U-M-M-E-R-F-I-E-L-D.com. Um, you can email me anytime at elaine at elainesummerfield.com. And please give me a call. It's uh, 804 804- Three five seven four seven nine nine. I welcome a conversation anytime, so don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. All right, thank y'all so much for joining us for this candidates forum. Really appreciate it, and good luck in your races. It's crazy time to yes. be running. So uh, the fact that you're doing it uh, is to be commended. So thank y'all so much. Rise up this morning. Smile with the rising sun Three little birds Pitched by my doorstep Singing sweet songs Of melodies pure and true Saying this is my message to you And welcome listeners to another COVID edition of our candidate forums on What are we called? Oh, I don't know. Is it um, municipal mania? Mania, 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 mania. Heard every week on Wednesday here on WRIR LP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. We're doing third district this week. Thanks for uh, hanging in there when we took a skip week, took a break week last week to get some personal stuff done. Uh, but now we're back into the candidate forum swing of things and we are kicking it off with a school board candidate. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and uh, giving us a little bit of a, a background on you and why you're choosing to run in the third district. So hi, everybody. Thank you for having me on RVA Dirt Municipal Mania. Um, so my name is Sabrina Gross and I'm running for school board, third district, north side, right? <laughs> That's right. I'm north side six, but north you know. Side, third district. We're um, neighbors. <laughs> um, so actually, so I'm running for school board and I, let me just back up and always, and, and tell people, I have always had a passion for education. I didn't just decide to jump in and don't have any experience. I have, from the beginning of time, um, when I had gone to college, I knew that I wanted to work in education and helping students attain success through education. And so part of that was because I, you know, I went to city school myself and I noticed that, you know, the city schools didn't always have the most um, resources to help kids move on to college smoothly. And so I knew that education was 
a key to success for a lot of communities and I wanted to be somebody that could do something with that. So I went on to college and I got my bachelor's degree in psychology and I also got my teacher certification in high school social studies. And so I went on, I taught for a year, I taught special ed because you cannot I could not find a social studies job. Those jobs are like highly coveted. And so I taught special ed. And then through there, I realized that I wanted to work in the home more with kids because I knew that it was like this, that piece is what they really needed help with. So I did that for a really long time. And then I realized, you know, I think I can really make a difference doing policy work. And so I went to law school. So I have a law degree. And then from there, kind of a you know, roundabout way, but I ended up at the Virginia Department of Education, and I work in the special education um, compliance work, where we also help draft regs, we do guidance documents, we do investigations, and we do school accountability, and I also do um, teacher um, professional development and um, project management. So um, that's, that's who I am. I'm also the PTA president at Obama, where my daughter goes. Obama, the song that, <laughs> that they have, they have this beautiful song that they sing. <laughs> uh, and you're like, you're not even sure. Like, I asked my sister, I said, is it just me, but does a song bring a tear to your eye? She goes, no, no, it does. It makes you like that. So I'm the PTA president there, and I also sit on the, um, the Richmond Behavioral Health Authorities Board. Um, which is very exciting because I used to work at the CSB in Hampton Newport News. And so now I'm sitting on the board of the CSB here in Richmond. So that's cool. And I'm a educational law association. Um, I, I do that. So, and I'm in Jackson Jill of America. So I believe in giving back. I believe in um, being civically minded. And so I decided to go ahead and run for school board because I wanted to ultimately start working on getting people involved in building trust and relationships between the schools and the parents. So last year during rezoning is when I really started to get really involved at that local level with school board because they were trying to rezone our schools and I was like, like my ears perked up, my daughter, I was loving her school and I said, let me pay attention. And so that's when I really started getting involved. And from that process, what I realized is that there's still a barrier between parents really feeling a connection with the school and feeling like they have a relationship enough to make a difference. And so I knew that running for school board, a big part of what I would do, which is what I'm used to doing, is connecting people to resources. And so a big part of what I see myself doing and what I need to do is connect parents to back to the schools, build those relationships so that they can trust the schools and um, really be, you know, really focus in on trying to have that control and you know changing the things that they need to be changed and and um, making those public comments and that kind of stuff so that's my story with understanding now what prompted you to run in your district which was what you heard those dog whistles of nonsense right and your daughter goes to obama what do you see as a uh, the, the major issue for the third right now let me just say this so Prior to like this past week, I would have I would have said <clears throat> we want to, and I still believe we're gonna kind of revisit the how the schools are zoned because we know that when Holton was built, they kind of rezoned it. They rezoned the schools in a way that certain neighborhoods were zoned to Holton, which is not as close to them as like Obama or even Ginter Park. So I do think that we baseline should revisit those zones to make sure that they actually make sense but who let me tell you this week it was brought to my attention that 
John Marshall has 400 students, 440 student enrollment. And this is a conversation that is not being had. And so that right there <laughs> has a huge impact on when you talk about rezoning. We have to, we do have to start discussing what's going on because so John Marshall fee has about four four feeder schools. So you've got Overby Shepherd, Ginter Park, Holton, and Obama. May I think maybe even Carver may I'm not really sure, but at least those four schools. And between those four schools, you have about 1,300 students. So that means we are losing 900 students from elementary school to high school. 900 students are not showing up. So I think we need to talk about why that's happening. How can rezoning, and this was a part of the conversation when um, they talked about pairing. The idea of pairing was to get parents to kind of build those relationships and so that kids could move together regardless of what school they were at and so that they would feel more camaraderie and community to go on to Henderson and to go on to John Marshall. And so I think that those need to be revisited, a conversation about how do we help parents feel the camaraderie, how do we build trust in the schools so that they want to send their kids to the high school. We don't want to lose a high school. The high school is the heartbeat of the community. I mean, elementary school, we know it's the foundation of education, but who remembers? I mean, you really remember high school, right? You remember the band? being a cheerleader, going to pet rallies, games. I mean, that's what you remember, right? I mean, that's what the Alumni Association, you have JM Alumni Association, right? That's, I mean, that they're thick. So we really want to talk about how do we rezone to get people to feel the trust to send their kids on to our feeder, you know, our high school and our, and our middle school. And I think in that process that needs to be changes, they they were not included in that conversation. When they rezoned the schools, that the high schools, and even to some extent, the middle schools were really not considered or included in that conversation. And so what ended up happening was John Marshall lost about 150 students in that rezoning conversation. So they, they were mm -hmm. already down about 600 kids, apparently. Yep. So now they're down to 440. And what that looks like for them is it puts them in jeopardy of losing their opportunities for sports. You know, the reality of it is, is that the less students that go to the school, the less money that the schools are budgeted for. And so one of the conversations that I was trying to point out in one of our forums was, is that part of the reason why we also wanted to resolve was for money. The PTAs at the more, if you, I hate to use elite, but the wider, the more affluent. affluent schools, thank you. You know, the PTAs of the more affluent schools, they are raising crazy amounts of money. And so that money is used to supplement what the schools aren't able to do. What was pointed out to me by the incumbent was that, well, Holton only has about a little less than $50,000 and that does not offset the million dollars it costs to rezone. So how much does it, how much does, does, uh, does John Marshall raise every year for their PTA? Well, I think that's a good question. I can tell you that Obama has $2,000 PTA budget. I know that for a fact. So well, I can tell you that uh, that John Marshall doesn't have anywhere close to $50,000. $50, so when you, so you have to take into consideration. It's probably that, not 2000 either. Not, and I know Guinness Park doesn't have one at all, right? So the inequities in the, what the PTAs are able to raise right there impact them budget wise but so they're they're hit twice they're hit once because the ptas can't raise and they're hit again because 
the affluent schools have 600 kids in them, but our schools have 300, which means our, their budgets are lower. So they're basically being hit twice by budget. So they have less resources. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So beyond just rezoning, I think we need to revisit how we allocate resources to the schools because if we're allocating resources to the schools based on the amount of kids there. And we know that the more affluent schools have more kids. So the more affluent schools have more budget because they've got more kids and they have the PTA opportunities, you know? So I think those are conversations that need to be had. How do we address that? Because it doesn't, you know, it impacts the schools. They have less resources. You are actually in a unique position where you have experience with special education as well as mental health. RPS students are in a unique position right now, virtually, when it comes to special education and mental right. health. What initiatives would you put forward if you were elected? What, what would you work on to ensure that those kids right now, because we don't know how long this is gonna go, February, maybe longer, what would you do to help those particular kids out uh, as a school board member? So I think with special ed, you have, the, it's difficult because everything is very, it's supposed to be individualized. So each individual student, you're supposed to have meetings and determine for them what they need. So baseline, I, I would imagine that RPS is doing that anyway and having IEP team meetings to determine what these kids are needing, how they can supplement what they're losing. Not all kids are going to lose out because some kids do okay virtually with their access and their resources and their accommodations and that sort of thing. We want to make sure they're actually getting them, though. I mean, we need to make sure that our teachers are supported and, and, and not overwhelmed so that they're making sure their kids are getting their accommodations and their services. Because what happens is, is that the teachers get overwhelmed and then they're not necessarily getting the accommodation services. So we want to make sure that's happening. So we want to make sure that if the kid is in Jeanette, they're getting the support of special ed and if they're supposed to be getting somebody to work with them in the classroom even virtually that that's actually happening if that means they have a separate meeting room and they're being pulled out to do those services that needs to happen so i would definitely want to put i would want to see the what the process is to make to make sure that's happening because right now i just don't know so that's number one number two i do think that the reality of it is is that for some of our kids you know, virtual only is just not going to cut it. So I think we're going to have to start talking about how do we bring some of our media students back into the school in a safe way, in a way that doesn't necessarily hurt, you know, that puts them at less risk and puts the teachers at less risk. Um, but I think that that's just a must-have conversation. The other thing is, is that they can enlist the help of, con you know, they can contract with other organizations to provide some of those services. And, in some, and I think in some cases they may have or they may not have. But I mean, if it's like speech or OT or like reading services, they can contract with services and they can either pull them off, pull them out of the house and do something off-site with them to make sure they're getting those services if they need them face-to-face -face because virtual isn't working with them. So I would suggest that we start talking about that and getting creative in that way. And like I said, some of these kids might, we might want to just talk about opening the school building up just for providing those services in a, like I say, in a safe, healthy way. The other thing for that, so those are our kids with uh, disabilities. But for our students with mental health needs, I think that we should enlist the 
help of the community to provide those wraparound services. So RPS, I guess they have set up like little stations throughout the community where parents can go and, you know, discuss resources and that sort of thing. I believe they have done that. So we want to just really boost those up and continue to do that. Let's work with closer with RBHA or other mental health, so, you know, other mental health services, because there's other agencies that provide mental health services. Let's help them with that. Let's start doing some case management. I'd love to see schools be more intentional about case management for mental health, right? And so what case management is, is that you identify what a child needs, they can have a service plan for it. And then with the service plan, you assist them with identifying what services that they need and then connecting them to those resources. So I'd like to kind of see that happen with our kids in a really intentional way because schools have done it kind of haphazardly throughout the years because it's been needed. So I think now we need to start really given COVID and everything that's going on, being like, okay, we're going to do that. I've talked about community schools before, meaning when you think about like Harlem Children's Zone, where they are just, they, they provide, you know, everything. And I like to kind of see us move towards that because the reality of it is, is that we have, um, we have a population, a large population of children that need more supports. So I'd like to to visit that and engage people in, in providing those supports. And so that would be a part of what I, I did if I was on school board, I would do if I was on school board. I think to close us out, if you had all the money in the budget, if mm -hmm. RPS had a fully funded budget and you could request anything that you wanted and fund it, what would you embark um, with the support of the rest of the school board to do? What would that project be? That's a really difficult question because I, I, I want to say we got to fix up the schools. I really want to say that because, I mean, no, people aren't going to send their kids to a school that they don't feel is safe or clean or it's just a comfortable environment. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Like, so I really want to say that. But the other part of me is like, what is often lost in conversation about RPS and I'm noticing it is like nobody talks about like the actual education and instruction of the kids. <laughs> like, I mean, like, they talk about the buildings, they talk about the blah, 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 the services, the blah, 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 the police. Like, so, like, and that, that doesn't mean that I think that, you know, we don't have strong teachers, or I'm not knocking teachers, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is I often don't, you just don't hear a discussion about the kids actually, like, learning stuff. You know what I'm saying? And that's troubling because there have been issues with the schools not offering classes that kids need to graduate or to be fully prepared to complete their education. The, sure. the kids are not, did not actually have curriculum in the middle school for math. I mean, these are th conversations that really need to be had because baseline sure. kids are in school to learn. Like RPS, the kids are not, we, we're, we're looking at some of the data and I don't have the exact numbers on it, but are the kids are not, we have a large percentage of children that are not literate on their grade level of, in terms of reading. And so I would really, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about teaching children how to read. And so what, what that looks like, does that mean that we need to enlist more um, training teachers getting more reading teachers, like people who, look, teaching kids how to read is a whole nother skill. That is a, that is a separate skill set. We probably mm -hmm. need to get more reading teachers in. And I noticed um, the superintendent had put that in the budget, but we need more. And we need them at across grade levels, not just the elementary, we need them in elementary, we need them in middle school, we need them in high school. We need them in the community because maybe parents need supports with reading. We really need Absolutely. to start talking about literacy 
in our schools because if the kids are literate then they're going to they, that gives them a baseline they will function and they'll do better in the other classes we can get really creative with reading we can use some they have some pretty good programs out there that help kids with literacy when i talked to deron chavis um, when I did my little working together Wednesday, he brought up some really beautiful ideas about using like the gardens and um, for, for different types of educational purposes. That includes reading as well. You have to follow directions with reading. You have to comprehend what you're doing. You have to be able to write down what you did and take note of what you've done. Um, you can do some really beautiful things. One of the, uh, my colleagues um, had talked about doing like a school newspaper, a beautiful way to get kids involved in reading. I know that they've done things like read across the city and they send books home and stuff like that but I'd like to see more intensive literacy efforts in the schools because okay. it's and it's really not talked about and I've just really started to know we, we talk about all these other things um, even now we're talking about virtual learning and cutting the day and all that and I'm like we gotta teach these kids how to read thank you for joining us you're welcome before we close out completely, would you please let folks know how they can contact you? Yeah, so you can either, you can send me an email. My email is better together, B-E-T-T-E-R, the number two, G-E-T-H-E-R at gmail dot 2020 at gmail.com. You can hit me up, which is at better together on Instagram. I'm at better together on Twitter and Facebook. You can hit me up on my school board page, Sabrina for RPS. Um, if you wanted to give me a call, that's fine. The number is 804-631-9058. And I'm canvassing the neighborhoods. If you want to help me and volunteer, please hit me up on my, um, on my actual website. At, it's Sabrina for RPS.com. I need as many volunteers as possible to help me canvas and spread the word because my goal is to connect with the community, connect the community to the schools, connect the schools to the school board. That's my goal. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, for joining us. Good luck in your race. And thank you. We hope to talk to you again. It was nice you to meet too. you. You too. Have a good one. You too. Thank you. We will continue on with our school board portion of our third district candidates forum. We had to break you guys up because your schedules couldn't match, but that's okay. It's all yep. right. We just want to make sure that everybody has a chance to talk about the platform uh, Absolutely. in a fair manner. So how about we go ahead and allow our incumbent to introduce herself and uh, just talk a little bit about uh, what do you think maybe um, your major accomplishments to have been? We'll look back on your first term. Well, gosh, so um, quick introduction. My name is Kenya Gibson and I um, currently serve on the school board. I represent Northside and third district. And um, I was elected in a special election in 2017. So, um, so I've been on the board for two years and like 10 months. And, um, and I, it's been a busy time and I'm, I'm proud of some of the accomplishments um, since I've been on the board. Uh, I'm trying to think. So most notably, uh, we worked on developing a strategic plan and I pushed to ensure that teacher retention was one of the um, goals and things that we measured as part in terms of progress on that strategic plan. Um, I worked with some colleagues on developing a, uh, a free speech resolution for teachers 
um, because I think it's really important for, for teachers to feel um, at ease and being able to talk about things that are working and things that aren't working and, and, and helping us to, to govern with their insight. Um, I worked very hard on uh, establishing some, some good governance items. Um, so we began live streaming our school board meetings before COVID. And, um, and I think that saw a good surge in participation in the community, which I'm really, um, I'm really proud of that. We had a t there was a time when there were um, folks that came to speak in public comment when we were in person. And when the line got too long, they were told to sit back down. Um, so that's a practice that we've stopped um, as part of our good governance. And um, I got the, our, you know, our administrative protocols put up on, on board docs so that that was available for the public to see. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot more work to do in terms of governance, but those are some, um, some notable things. I pushed very hard to ensure more transparency in our budget process. Um, so in uh, 2018, as we were working, or actually, no, this was 2019, when we were working on the budget, um, there were a significant number of cuts that we talked about. And, um, and unfortunately, those staff positions were cut without, uh, without the public really knowing about it because they were discussed and closed. And so, um, and so I pushed to ensure that that budget document was made public. I do wish it had happened sooner, but, um, but it did happen. And, um, and I was able to uh, get uh, support to ensure that, um, so as the city was talking about Navy Hill um, last year, uh, which would have been a project, a development project that which would have had a significant impact on future school funding. Um, my colleagues and I voted in support of a resolution that um, that basically said that, hey, the school board would like to have a say. That um, in, in development projects, when we're talking about funding models that would um, take future uh, dollars that would be allocated to schools, that the school district would like to have a say in, in those projects. A lot of the things that you talked about, um, Kenya, are centered around transparency and, um, you know, a lot of policy changes and things that um, really deal with uh, governance on the actual board, which are things that we talk about a lot of, you know, as RVA DIRT, uh, which is very important um, for functioning, right, as a functioning board. Talk a little bit about some of the things that the board as a whole, or maybe you, have uh, worked on for the third in terms of schools or um, things that have happened um, during your term that have benefited the third? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I do my very best to govern in a way that really serves the, the interests of the district as a whole. Um, because if, you know, if each person on the board is, is, is spending you know, focusing on, you know, um, rallying for their district, it becomes very territorial, you know, like, so, um, so that's the, you know, so my focus is really on, you know, the things that are going to help the entire district are the things that are going to help the students and families in my district. Um, that say, said, there are things that come up that have come up in the third district. Um, you know, we had 
chairs that were falling apart in the auditorium of Barack Obama that, um, that I pushed to make sure were replaced. There were water fountains in, at Carver that weren't working that I had replaced. There was tile at Gitter Park Elementary School that had been there for, um, you know, that was peeling and, and, and looked, you know, really bad for, for several years that um, I was thankful we were able to have repaired. And so, you know, in the work that we do as board members, um, certainly there are things that are going to come up specific to the district that we're in because those are the schools that we're spending a lot of time in. But, um, but ultimately, I think the things that I have done that have been the most supportive to kids in, in my district are also the things that have been supportive of kids throughout the city. There's a lot of big personalities on school board. Some would say even more so than on council. Uh, it's an interesting dynamic sometimes. And uh, you may have the opportunity uh, to mix it up this next term. What are your key focuses on uh, you know, getting folks to work together and aligning goals and getting policymakers to see past their own agendas and work for RPS children? Yeah, so... Um uh, let's see. So, I mean, in the work that I've done on the board thus far, you know, the way I've approached it, and, you know, oftentimes, let's be frank, I'm often the, um, the, the person on the board who's like, wait, let's figure out, is this really going to work? And, um, and there are times when that isn't embraced, you know? Um, so, but I, I think that despite the fact that, um, you know, I, I express concern about things when I'm concerned or I'm, I ask for more information when I want to see more information and that, that that's not always, um, you know, folks aren't always thrilled about that. I've been able to be, um, you know, to, to have things move forward because a lot of what I think I push for is simply common sense, you know? So, um, so when we're talking about, you know, is it reasonable to, um, ensure that we're getting board documentation three meeting three three working days before meeting, yeah, you know that and so so we're going to get support to make that kind of change. Um, you know, likewise with um, you know uh, I, I was able to advocate that as we we're talking about general assembly and the position that the board is going to take on on various um, bills that come through. I asked the board to support, um, to take a stance that we would support any legislation that would help increase transparency. Um, and so, so although you know folks don't agree with me all the time, these are things that are simply, um, you know, they they make good sense. And so, um, regardless of where you know what our agendas are, um, I think if we're all focused on things that just, um, you know, that are that that are just essential stuff then then we can get that stuff done you know this was a big year for school board you guys tried to tackle a lot of big things you built several schools um i know we set out to build five we got through three covid happened and that put a big monkey wrench in a lot of uh schools reopening our kids are doing some very brave new world <laughs> Uh, education ideas right now you know it's a totally different experience for our kids right now and for the parents too rezoning that's always a nightmare disaster um, in and of itself if re-elected what would you like to see or be a, a big goal to either work on in the next term or if it's maybe a continuation of one of those things or maybe something new 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, and, you know, at the same time, I recognize that, um, you know, who knows what 2021 and 2022 are going to bring, you know? And, um, and you know, I sure picked one heck of a time to be on the school board, you know? I mean, uh, and, <laughs> and I, I giggle because, you know, there are pressures where, you know, um, folks would like the school boards to have less power than they actually have, you know, and oftentimes on the board, I'm, I'm the one saying, hey, we should get to vote on this thing. And, you know, let's make sure that, um, you know, this is something that, that we're getting public feedback on. And then as soon as COVID hit, it was like, who's going to decide whether the schools to reopen? And it was like, let's push it down to Mikey. He'll eat it. You know? And so there I was, you know, on the board making a decision that I really see as a a public health decision more as much as it is a decision about schools. Um, but to answer your question uh, in terms of, you know, what I would like to see accomplished, you know, we have a lot more work to do as it pertains to governing in a way that I believe reflects the democratic um, values uh, that we are, you know, um, elected to serve. Um, and so I would like to see a check registry that is set up in a way that, um, you know, folks can actually see how we're spending our money. I would like to see uh, more, um, you know, more. So there's, there's, there's definitely more engagement, I think, in the community than there have been in years past. But what is missing is often, you know, we, we have a lot of meetings, but what what, it, what sometimes is missing is like after you have those meetings, then ensuring that like this thing that we came up with really reflects what those people said to us, you know? And so, um, so I guess what I'm talking about is, you know, really authentic engagement um, that uh, to ensure that when we do something, we go back and say, Hey, is this what you guys asked for? And uh, you know, I mean, I think that definitely as a board, uh, what, I, I think it'd be fair to say that I think we've bit off more than we could chew. Um, and so one of the things that I would like to see happen are, you know, some focus on things like, you know, some of the basics. You know, we have not had a single discussion about special education in the entire time I've been on the board. And, um, and this is an area where we certainly have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that have kind of the, you know, been kicking the can down the road as we've been talking about alternative education, as we've been talking about discipline. Um, so I, I guess if to, to answer your question, you know, really going back to the basics, I think it's important, um, you know, as we move forward. With COVID and all of the social movements that we have going on in, um, in Richmond right now and in the country, you know, you've been involved with activism and have made statements and stuff about our current social unrest and social justice issues. How is this current state shaping your ideas on policy for the schools? Also, what are you doing for outreach for families while they deal with all of the things that have uh, compounded all at once in this great year of 2020? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about now are things that I, you know, frankly, have been pushing us to talk about for some time. Um, you know, so this year we were able to make some changes to our discipline policy, which is the SCORE document, the student conduct document, which I am proud of. Basically, some changes that, um, that uh, you know, reduce 
a lot of the areas where we've been suspending kids where I don't think, um, you know, we're really serving their, their best interest in doing so. And so last year, as we were working on the score document, um, we were really very focused on um, some changes which were important changes um, in terms of um, LGBTQ and, um, and, and gender and, you know, our dress code. And we've, we've done that stuff. Um, but I, I found myself still feeling like I can't adopt this document as thrilled as I am to see these changes made while we are still punishing our black and brown students um, while, you know, punishing students with special needs um, in a way that's going to impact them for their entirety of their school career and beyond. And so, um, and so I'm, I'm thankful that this moment in time has allowed us to stop and really consider the impact of this system that we've created. Um, and so, you know, we're talking about things like, um, you know, like having um, police officers in the school. And, um, and I'm a person that really thinks, yeah, I mean, there is no reason to have someone in our schools with a badge and with a gun at the end of the day. Um, but at the same time, you know, this isn't just a quick solution, like just get rid of these guys and then, you know, and then we're, we're, we're good on the racial justice because, you know, we, this is, this is a complicated thing. And so, um, so I'm often looking for more than a quick fix. Uh, I want to see something that, um, that is, um, you know, that we can do that, that really addresses the, the reach of issues that we need to address. So, um, so if we're going to be eliminating police officers in the school, what are we, what is the system we're replacing that with? What I would like to see are, um, you know, folks in the school that, yeah, they can break up a fight, but also are, um, are highly skilled at de-escalation, um, that are, are really, uh, have experts in, um, in dealing with students with special needs um, that can help facilitate racial just, uh, I'm sorry, restorative justice in our schools. So, um, so you know, from my perspective, simply, uh, you know, taking those resource officers out of the school, it's not enough. Um, we really need to have a complete solution in order to really serve our best, you know, to really meet the needs of, the, uh, of our students. So we have time for one more question. As you know, we have an ongoing election for city council in the third. And so we know that the sitting council, council person, Chris Chili Chilbert, as we affectionately call him, is not going to be running. And so you're going to have a, if, if reelected, you will have a new city council person. Yeah. In that seat, what do you look forward to your relationship with that new person looking or feeling like people don't always talk about that, but I, we think that that's a very important relationship or camaraderie to talk about because city council, especially school boards, since city council approves the school board budget, that's a very intertwined relationship. Um, in order for those things to mend well, you should yeah. be able to work well together. 
Well, um, you know, while Chris uh, has been in the seed, I have been able to attend. He does monthly meetings and, um, and I've come, you know, I, I frequently have attended those to be able to um, talk to folks in the district and that's been really helpful. And I um, would, uh, you know, encourage the, the person who um, is elected to the seat to do the same. And I'd, I'd like to continue that partnership um, for sure. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, you know, Chris Hilbert knows that um, that what I do best is when the schools need money. You know that he's going to hear from me, and um, and I and I you know that's that's really the, the 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 core of the dynamic between city council and the school board. Um, what I would like to see happen is uh, on city council is really to talk about the process in terms of the budget development. Um, Frankly, you know, I um, was disappointed that as we, you know, attended education compact meetings that um, that we didn't talk enough about our process and, and how we put the budget together um, in the city. There was, you know, we, there was some talk about uh, kind of um, some state changes and um, and talk about after school programs, but but really the work of city council and the school board is in adopting a budget and what can we do in terms of that process to ensure that, um, you know, that, that information is being provided in a timely manner and that, um, and that the, the, you know, council is able to make decisions with, um, you know, with the, with, with the data that they need. Um, and so, so, you know, I do think that there is an opportunity to, to streamline the way, that, um, the way that we're working. Well, unfortunately, if we had more time, we'd keep going. Because, <laughs> you know, we could talk all day. Thank you, Kenya. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and telling us a little bit about your platform um, and your accomplishments, sharing with us uh, your goals for RPS. And good luck in your race. Well, thank you. And thank you both for all that you do to make sure that folks in the city are informed because that's my jam. Thanks. Yeah. We really, we really like that, that information sharing. It's a major point. Awesome. Have a good one. <laughs> Thanks you too. Oh, Have a great wait, night. Before you leave. No. Oh yes. Free. I'm sorry. Yes. You're yeah. right. Yes. Before right. you leave, tell your constituents and all of our listeners how they can connect with you, how they can hear more in detail about your platform, how they can read about it, connect with you, call you, text you, tweet you. Yeah. Sure. Donate well, gosh. Yeah. So um, my website is kenyagibson.com. That's pretty easy to remember. Um, I'm on Facebook. I am on all the social medias under Kenya Gibson. Um, and uh, I can be emailed um, at kgibson at rvaschools.net um, and encourage all to, to reach out regardless of which district you're in. Um, you know, I hear from, from folks citywide and, um, and I appreciate that. Great. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for participating. And thank you. Good luck in your race and we'll see you. Well, we still have a couple of months left, so we'll see you at school board. Here we go. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Richmond, you know what time it is. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode with us. We made it. Woo! <laughs> and we only Man. have, after this, we have three more forums left. Yes. Whoa. Whoa. Hang on to your pants. Because um, OMG. Have you noticed there. that since we started from the back and went to the front, it's like ramped up? And uh, it just 
I don't know, an interest, like excitement. I'm looking, forward to, looking forward to the first. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Maybe even more so than the mayoral. That shit's going to be lit. <laughs> Y'all don't even know. Oh, we've never had uh, candidates in the first like this. So, um, and that'll be in another two weeks after this one. So. Maybe I need to get some like something. That's going to be a, I don't know. I need a forum cocktail. Forum and shots day. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway. Richmond, you know what time it is. Have mercy. Help us. <laughs> oh, help us. Help us. Help us. Whew, we almost made it. We're almost there. Trump ain't paying no taxes and, you know, RBG's gone, you know. It's, it's, been, a rough, it's been a rough week. It's been a rough week. It's been a rough week, you know. Flint still has dirty water. New Jersey does too. Chesterfield went back to school. They're sending the kids back to school. The hell with COVID. They don't even care. Fuck these kids. Fuck these kids. That's basically what it is, right? Just fuck these yeah. kids. That's what Jordan said. Fuck your kids. They don't care. F COVID. And then F your kids. Send them back to school. They don't care. Whatever. The world has gone upside down. And Richmond is most certainly still racist. But we're working on it, COVID or not. Here we are. Y'all wear your mask. Have a nice week. Take a shot. Eat bacon. Especially the bacon part. Especially bacon. Y'all know that week. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>